Okay, here we go. Nice and quiet. Sound speeds, camera rolling. Holding for sound. Last looks. Calling for last looks. And set and action. I need to swap batteries. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I am Alric Brassell, the founding host of the podcast. I've been uh, working on sets for over 10 years. I've made a lot of movies, either shorts or features, either as a producer or a director. And I'm just finishing up my first feature as a writer-director, The Alternate. I'm Liz Vanishell. I'm a writer-director-producer with two features under my belt and a third one out in the ether somewhere. It's going to happen soon. Uh, I'm a former film critic, current distribution consultant, and I used to manage the Creative Distribution Initiative at Sundance. This week, we have a very exciting episode for everybody. We are so thrilled to have the legendary Barbara Crampton, star of such films as From Beyond, one of my favorites, Castle Freak, Space Truckers, which I have to see now. I've never heard of this movie before. Body Double, which is on my list. I haven't seen that. Brian De Palma movie. Chopping Mall. Love it. And, of course, The Reanimator, which everyone knows is her most famous role. Did you um, just call it The Reanimator? <laughs> I don't know. Fine. Reanimator. Reanimator. Okay. That's what I wrote in my haste. So don't hate me for saying that. Um, anyways... That's just a few of the wonderful roles or movies that uh, Barbara has been in. Um, but she is on the show to talk about her latest film, Jacob's Wife, which she stars in as well as uh, produced. She's, this is, like I think, her third movie that she's produced, maybe fourth um, in the last few years. So that's really exciting. But So uh, this is going to be a really fun episode, and we're going to jump right into it. But don't go away, because we'll be back with a quarantine short film by Nigel Gould Davies. Um, and a very special segment with filmmaker Casey DeFrimery, where he will talk about how he got some really awesome action scenes on a budget for his film Warpath, which was just released by High Octane Pictures, who I pitched the alternate to, and they Ooh. turned me down. Oh, Anyways. screw those guys. <laughs> they were actually super nice. The guy was so friendly, and he was like, oh, that sounds like a really cool movie. He let me pitch a couple different movies, and he was like, when it's done, bring it to us first. We want, we want to see it. We could probably get you a really good deal. And I was like, well, we'll see. We'll see about High Octane. Anyways, uh, the little inside story. Here's Barbara. <laughs> Can you give us the elevator pitch for Jacob's Wife? Uh, Jacob's Wife is about a woman who feels like her marriage and her life has sort of um, gone by without her noticing and is just sort of comfortable. And she gets bitten by a vampire and realizes all the things she missed in her life and that she wants more out of life than she than she than she ever had and develops a zest for life to be to live bigger and bolder wow awesome uh, how many days did you shoot the film i think it was around 22 yeah and we ask about we, we often talk with people about budget but if you feel uncomfortable talking about budget just let us know but could you speak to the rough budget <laughs> it was um it was probably a lot less than you think it is Nice. Um, and then how long did you spend working on the film from, you know, the inception to it uh, coming out and being released? Five years. Wow. It won a screenplay contest at Shriekfest in Los Angeles in 2015. And the fest director there, Denise Gossett, 
reached out to me on behalf of the original writer, Mark Steensland, because they had heard, or he had heard that I was uh, doing producing at the time. I had just produced Beyond the Gates with Jackson Stewart. And they thought it might be a good vehicle for me to either act in or produce or both. And I read it and immediately was drawn to the character of this woman that wants a second chance at life mm. and gets the opportunity for that. And so I started developing it with Mark and we went through a few iterations of the script. Then I started looking for partners on it and financial you know, ways to get it made and uh, met Bob Portal at Alliance Media Partners a few years ago. Then they, uh, he, Bob, and some other partners at the company wanted to help me develop it a little bit more. So then we brought in Kathy Charles to work on the script a little bit. And then we started taking it out to the marketplace to see if we could sell it. And then as we were doing that, we were trying to raise the money and mm. kind of put it all together with uh, a director that's around the time that uh, Travis Stevens movie Girl on the Third Floor had come out so we all knew him as a producer for many years and we talked to him among other directors and just found the best fit with Travis and so that was about a year and a half almost two years ago that Travis came on board and here we are five years later so it took a long time <laughs> Thank you for breaking that down for us. Actually, that was a very clear trajectory to hear about how the film got made. Uh, how big was the crew? Well, I don't know. We probably had maybe 30 people on our crew. Um, we, we shot the film in Canton, Mississippi, and they don't have a lot of filmmakers that actually live right in that town. It's just outside of Jackson. So we, we brought in some crew from uh, Louisiana and Texas and Atlanta and um, the cast came from all over to our supporting cast. Our DP um, was actually from that town and our service production company was, in, was actually very close by in Jackson, Mississippi. So that kind of worked out, um, but it was pretty much an amalgamation from a lot of different sources to bring everybody together. And then compared to all the other films that you've uh, made, how difficult was this one? How difficult? Well, I, you know, uh, how difficult in terms of producing? I mean, I'm a new producer, so I've only produced three movies in my life. So, you know, I'm working with a different hat. Um, as far as when I'm acting on other movies, I just get a call and I don't know how hard it is on the other movies for them to, you know, put it all together. I only hear glimmerings, but um, I think, you know, it's it's an independent movie, so you're in reinventing the wheel pretty much every time you make a film. So I think they're all have their hardships, and uh, they also have a little bit of magic. Um, I think it, the time that it took me to put this movie together was long. I, I hope it doesn't take this long the next time because I don't have that many years left. You know, that'll only give me a few more projects to do, but. Um, we also had the advantage of bringing in some people that we had worked with before, like Travis and like Larry Fessenden, and bringing in people that had been in the genre for a long time, like Larry and like and like um, Bonnie Aarons. And so there was a there was a familiarity and a comfort level with certain aspects of the movie because we we knew each other 
and I think that helps a lot. And working with Travis, I'd worked on, with him on We Are Still Here a number of years ago, and he was the main producer on that movie. And now he was in the director's seat. So, you know, there, there was a comfort level there. We weren't starting from scratch. Um, Travis had also worked with Bob Portal at Elite, Alliance Media Partners, our main producer. And so they knew one another and there was a comfort level there. And I was had been working with Bob for three years by the time Bob and I met to get this off the ground. So by then we were really good friends after trying to, you know, get this movie off the ground for three years. So um, I think that all that all helps the, the collaborative effort on everybody's part. Um, I'm actually really curious to hear about the transition to producing and what brought you into the world of producing. It was a time in my life in my late 30s <clears throat> when I wasn't really getting very many phone calls for acting work and I wasn't getting any auditions and I don't know if I had just hit an age where they weren't writing many scripts for women in their middle to late 30s that was probably true but I just nothing was happening for me and I left the business got married and moved up to Northern California with my husband had some kids just concentrated on a family life for a while and when I came back a number of years later with a call out of the blue to do your next and that movie really took off and did as well as it did i i saw that what was happening was i was working with all of these people that didn't do just one job they did they were all hyphenates they did a lot of different jobs i mean joe swanberg was a writer a director a producer and an actor and he was acting in this movie and adam wingard was a director an editor, a cinematographer, he was directing the movie. And and Ty West was an actor, a producer, a writer, and he was being an actor in this movie. And I and I realized, oh, this is what's happened since I've been gone. These young people have decided that they all have to get together and help one another with their movies. And you you don't do it, you know, if you're doing it outside of the studio system and you're doing it on your own, you've got to have people lifting you up and helping you so i i saw that it, it just felt a little bit different to me that people weren't just staying in their lanes everybody was helping one another make their movies and i saw this especially with this group of people who are now making some of the biggest products out there i mean you know godzilla versus kong is the num probably the number one movie this year and that's adam wingard's movie and Simon Barrett just directed a movie called Seance. And I think this is his second or third uh, directing job. And uh, look at what has happened with Keith Calder and Jessica Wu, who are the, the producers on your next. And they're producing huge movies and TV series now. And I got a clue from them that to have longevity in the business, maybe you should be a hyphenate and learn something else and not just be one thing. And so I thought, well, if I want to be in movies that I want to work in and see myself in, maybe I have to start looking for my own stuff. Maybe I have to make my own Rocky. I don't know. So I started putting the word out to my friends that I wanted to work on producing. And so people started talking to me and things just started happening. And then I helped Jackson Stewart make Beyond the Gates. And then I helped... Um, uh, uh, a company make uh, the new iteration of Castle Freak and then I decided oh I really like doing this so in that in that interim in that time period I found the script and I said okay this is a good part for me 
and this is a worthy story to tell about a relationship and about a woman who's regaining her voice and finding herself again after so long a period where nothing was happening with her, which I felt like Hmm. kind of mirrored what I had just gone through in my life. I mean, I had a very meaningful home life with my family and my children, and I really loved that. But there was something that felt unfinished in my career. And so if if something was going to happen, I had to make it happen myself. So I feel like the journey of Jacob's wife is sort of the journey of Barbara Crampton in a way. So now that you've produced a few um, projects, what do you really enjoy about it? Like what makes you excited to go out and produce your next film? Well, thank you for asking that. I, I really enjoy helping other people realize their dreams and I love storytelling. And maybe this sounds cliche, but I really wanna help other filmmakers, young filmmakers tell their stories. So since working on Jacob's Wife, I really got along with the guys at AMP, AMP, Alliance Media Partners, especially with Bob Portland. He and I are working together to develop other stories and other scripts to bring to the screen. And a lot of them are with new writers. And uh, it's just been an exciting time for me, especially in the pandemic, to be at home and reading scripts and, and giving notes to people and having them you know, go back and do a rewrite of something and come back and have it get better and better each time and I really find that fulfilling and I and then we're very close to actually um, filming some some new movies this year so hopefully that will happen and continue uh, you talked about multi-hyphenates I was curious if you you know if you were going to add directing onto the multi-hyphenate um, is that something you're interested in doing I mean I think I'd be interested in directing a short maybe for an anthology or something that would be really fun but as far as taking on a whole uh, a whole movie that would take probably two years of my life of developing it just that one story and or more uh, and then um, filming it and editing it and then and then um, you know taking it to the marketplace whether we do pre-sale on it or have that advantage or take it out to a film festival I, I'm not sure I have the stomach for that right now in my life because it's just so long. And, it, and directing was never something that was in my thoughts when I was growing up. I really like helping other people. I like the collaborative aspect of producing. Um, and I and if I was to direct my own movie, I, I might not really want to put myself in a part. And I mm-hmm. feel like I'm getting some really great parts um, just being thrown at me over the last couple of years and I really want to continue with my acting because my acting is my first and foremost love so I think that would take me out for too long because you you really have to dedicate yourself for two years to any project and I I don't know if I really want to do that at this point in my career but for short I would do that and I'm already thinking about about ideas and, and stories that I could tell in a short when like trying to decide like who to go with as a director on one of your projects like what do you look for like are you are you just trying to find like the best like personal fit for the role like the director really can speak to that 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 script or is it something else that you're looking for in that partnership yeah i think it's a fit for the material and definitely a fit for if you know that you're going to get along with the director um and they have to want to do it you know they have to they have to be as excited about the project as you are. So when we were meeting with people, 
um, we just would talk with them about what they thought about the material and um, what their vision for it would be and how they would shoot it and what their vision for the master would be, just different aspects. And you just get a vibe from people. And if you're kind of all on the same page or if somebody brings something to you that's really exciting and different that you hadn't thought of, that's also really cool. And um, we definitely got a lot of wonderful ideas from Travis and um, we knew him personally. And, and so I, you know, I do think, again, going back to working on these low budget independent movies, um, you really want to trust the people that you're working with. And so if you, if you know somebody, it's, it's helpful, you know, and we had all spent time with Travis before on sets and we knew he was up to the job and the task and, and not saying that I wouldn't work with a first time director, because there's a couple of scripts that Bob and I have in development that are with first time or second time directors who we don't really know that well, but I love their stories enough that I really want to help them develop it so um i think you know every you have to take every project as it comes and see what's the best fit for this project you know um i am pretty involved in uh trying to redesign the film industry (laughs) which we don't have to get into um but i guess my question for you is as a producer have you been asserting yourself to run the set in a way that is um different than um the way it was run in the 80s or I basically I'm so sorry I'm nervous Um, what I'm trying to say is um, I mean I just think there's a history of exploitation of actors exploitation of labor I just think people are treated really poorly on a film set I'm curious if you as a producer are trying to assert yourself in certain ways and I'd love to hear about that well I don't know if I would say assert myself I just say you know I would say I would help to enable people to do their best work in the best conditions possible and that that and to treat everybody with respect and kindness and and um i you know just feel like a lot of things have been exposed over the last number of years that we're all more aware of and we have to all be cautious of and i'm happy to be a part of you know even though i'm I'm an older person of a new generation of thoughtfulness about how we treat one another on set so definitely going forward on on every set that i've been on i mean that's something we think about and and we try to employ good practices for people to do their best work and feel comfortable and feel empowered um so going back to your process as a producer like how do you find the scripts that you're looking for to to develop into a project that's a really good question because i don't know it's just like all, I, it all happens from so many different places. Sometimes it's people that I know, they'll send me scripts or um, there's, uh, there's some agents that I know and I've reached out to them and I've said, this is what I'm looking for. What do you have? Do you have any writers that have this kind of material? Um, I've also gone on Twitter to these writers groups and, and looked through some bios of people and seen different writers um, talking and there's one guy named Jeremiah Lewis that I found on Twitter that somebody said, oh, he has this really great horror story and it's kind of an, it's, it's, it's a ghost story, but it's also a Western and it's really cool. And somebody introduced him to me on Twitter and I said, I want to read your script. And he sent it to me and we're trying to develop that with him. Um, So I've, I found a bunch of writers on Twitter that I just, they're they're parts of groups they're parts of writing groups and 
you know, I mean, where are you going to find people? I don't know. It's, it's wherever it happens. And I don't think there's a formula for it, you know? Um, and, and people just introduce me to people and, and some people have just sent me some spec scripts and I, I've read them. So, I mean, it's from everywhere and it's some, some people I know. So it's kind of everywhere. That is amazing. I love that you were open to Twitter solicitations. That's very cool. Um, you know, I saw the most recent Castle Free. Congratulations. Great job. Um, it ends with a kind of uh, reference to Reanimator. And so I'd be curious if you could speak to, are you revisiting other films in your canon? Is there an expansion to this one? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that was something that the production company that I was involved with uh, had gotten some rights to Charles Band's stories to, to remake them. And I think they've kind of gone out of business now and maybe aren't doing any more horror movies per se. So I don't really know what could possibly happen with any more uh, collaborations with Charles Band or expanding on any of the universes of past movies I've been in. But um, I'm not revisiting any of those particularly now, but that doesn't mean that I won't in the future. Nostalgia is big, right? So <laughs> I don't know if you guys have been watching Creepshow, but the first episode of Creepshow yeah. was sort of a callback to Evil Dead and, and Ted Raimi was on it. And people loved it because it was Evil Dead and Ted Raimi and Bob Ross. And nostalgia is like, nostalgia trumps everything. So I would certainly be interested in maybe revisiting um, from beyond possibly in the future. but. <laughs> <laughs> but I do know that um, I think it's um, MGM owns the rights to that now, and they're very covetous of the rights, and they're very expensive to buy. So we'd have to maybe finesse that original Lovecraft story to make uh, to make something similar, similar but different that that touches all the nostalgic buttons of horror fans. Well, you have my money for any from beyond sequel, yeah. prequel, whatever. I love that movie. So good. Oh my God. Um, so I'm just curious, like you talked about like your love of acting and how like you like to focus on that and want to continue, you know, your acting going forward. What do you want to do with your acting that you haven't done yet? Like what challenges do you see as an actor that you'd still like to, to, to take on? I, I said before I did Jacob's Wife that if I never did another movie again and I just made Jacob's Wife, I'd be happy. And that's true because I was able to play a classic character, a vampire character. Nobody was going to give me a part like that. I didn't give it to myself. And I was an older woman playing the lead in a movie. And we don't often get to see that. So I'm good right now. <laughs> um, but going forward, I'm up for anything, really. If, if I wanted to tick off any more boxes, I would say I'd probably like to play in the comedic space a little bit more and, and just have more fun, you know, with, with roles as, as, especially as we leave this pandemic behind, hopefully um, it's, it's, you know, it's not gotten worse. It's gotten a little better, but um, I'd like to find more joy, joyful parts in my acting more, more, you know, examine more fun parts of, of living my luster life that Anne hopefully, you know, also in this last movie we'll, we'll find in her future. 
Um, I'm curious uh, if you have any advice. A lot of our listeners are directors. And yeah, and a lot, I mean, a lot of filmmakers, but I would say a lot of specifically emerging, aspirational, you know, aspiring directors. Um, as an actress, as a producer, are you seeing kind of a gap between, um, you know, what a director can be and what they are? Are they, do you have any advice for directors in terms of getting to understand the mind of a performer or how they can direct actors better? I've always said that, um, for every film that I'm in, it's the director's movie. And whatever the language that they feel most comfortable in, they need to work in, is the language that the actor needs to try to understand. Some directors are very good at working with performers and talking to them in ways that performers uh, also uh, understand how to work. In, in So what I mean by that is like, it, actors uh, use a lot of active verbs to try to come up with the intentions that they need to work on a scene. So in a certain scene, like like a, an active verb would be like to seduce you. So if I was going to, you know, seduce you, or if I was going to entreat you, um, or cajole you, or convince you, those are really good operative words that I think. Um, I definitely use when I want to be specific in my work to try and get my intention across to the other character in whatever scene we're doing. <clears throat> I don't, I don't often see a lot of directors using those particular words, but directors that understand how actors work will often you talk to you in ways where they, where they um, sort of um, inspire you to to use the, the, those active kinds of um, verbiage to, to sort of put something in your mind like okay you're this is what you're trying to do in this situation do that you know I I think I I do wish that there was more of an understanding between an actor and a director of how to work on the material but I, I don't see that I do think there's a little bit of a disconnect and a lot of directors are purely visual and they don't they just think oh the actor's going to take care of it and i've talked to them about the story and they know what they're going to do in the scene and so they're just going to do it but specific moments to really fine tune them and to say to an actor you know do a little bit less here add something here i don't see a lot of directors having the capacity to really fine tune a performance and I can't judge my own performance while I'm doing it. It's really hard. I can come up with things and try new things and say, oh, I think I'd like to try this or try that. Or sometimes the actors amongst ourselves will, will come up with something. I've worked with a few directors that are really good at that. And one of them was Stuart Gordon with really talking about the scene and every scene. What are you doing in the scene? What do you want? What's happening right now? Give me more of this or that and would give me specific words that really make me feel something. I also feel like I recently worked with Joe Lynch on uh, Creepshow. I really feel like he did that very well because he's also a performer. Mm -hmm. And uh, he also was in episodes of Holliston that, that, that he... Um, directed with Adam Green, and so there's something there's something about the language there, um, 
And I also feel, had that feeling with Gigi Saul Guerrero when I worked with her in Culture Shock. She's also a performer and she gets right in there with you. I don't think that you need to have that to make a successful movie or to make an impactful movie or impactful scenes, but um, I, I like it personally when a director talks to me a lot in whatever language they have. And I did have that with Travis Stevens, even though he's not, he doesn't really know that much about acting or hasn't studied acting. His girlfriend's an actress. So, I mean, I think that helps. Um, but we would talk about the scenes a lot and what we wanted to do in the scene. So I think that's important that at least if you don't have the same language as an actor, I think to be able to just talk about the scenes in the bigger picture and in the smaller picture, what do you want to do in this moment? I think we can understand one another and get through to one another with, with these little clues. Um, but any opportunity any directors have to take an acting class, even a beginning acting class, I think your mind would just really open up and you would, you would get um, a lot of information about how actors talk to one another and how we approach material. That was a really long answer. It was a great answer though, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, very helpful. Um, I, I wanna ask more questions, but I think we're kind of getting close to our end time for our final five questions. So we should just get into those. Um, these are like kind of, they were, I wouldn't say rapid fire, but they're like, you know, Meant to just this is the end of my day. I can't be rapid fire. I've been talking okay. since nine o'clock this morning, and I All had right. one twenty-minute break. Please oh don't ask God. me to be rapid fire. All right, well, take your time with these. Is it the... <laughs> so the question is: What's the first film you ever were in or made, and how do you feel about it now? Uh, the first film. Well, the first thing I was in was Days of Our Lives. That was the first thing I was ever cast in. And I did that show for almost a year. And it gave me an opportunity to work really fast, to learn dialogue fast and have to come up with decisions on the fly because you didn't have a lot of rehearsal time. So uh, I, I, I look upon that job with a lot of fondness. It also gave me the opportunity to switch from being a stage actress to uh, a film actress, or it was video really, but you know, uh, just to, to, to work in a smaller arena. You know, the, the energy of, of working on a character is the same whether you're on stage or whether you're on film or video, but the aperture through which it flows is, is smaller. So it, it enabled me to kind of, you know, hone my performance or you know, attempt to in those days. Uh, into uh, a more, you know, sort of uh, smaller delivery. Uh, what's the best filmmaking advice you've ever received? Uh, know your lines, I guess. Know, know, know your lines. Don't show up and not know your lines. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you have to come prepared when you're, when you're working because everything happens so quickly and, and time is money and that's cliche, but it's never more true in filmmaking. And so you, you want to be able to have as much time as you can to get the best performance and, and product out of everybody. So if an actor doesn't know their lines and that's happened, not to me, but I've worked with people that didn't know their lines and it just takes so much time out of your day. And why, what's the point of that? That you don't know your, your words. Do you have a goal as a actor or producer or both? I just want to illuminate the human condition and sort of help people understand why we do the things we do in life and studying characters and dissecting them and understanding them is really important to me. So 
that that's my main goal of storytelling just just to talk about people and what it means to be human if you could go back in time what would be the one piece of advice you would give yourself Mm, I probably would have this is going to sound terrible to all the moms out there I probably wouldn't have gone to college I probably would have come out when I was 18 years old and um started my acting career sooner I, I I went to college for theater and I did get a good education but I don't know if it really helped me in my overall career to go to go to college for theater because I didn't end up being a theater actress I ended up being a film actress so I, I don't know I I think I wouldn't have gone to school but I'd probably make my mother mad so <laughs> I wouldn't want her to know that I said that <laughs> and final question is making movies hard yeah it's the it, it's hard it's it's the best job when you're working and the worst job when you're not working and most of the time you're not working and you're looking for work so that's it's it's like the ultimate freelance job there's never there's no security in it the only security I ever had was when I was working on soap operas and I I kept saying yes to them I did four of them over a 12 year period over a 35 year career because it afforded me a little cushion and a blanket to to make a little money and have some money in the bank. Um, I think being an actor today is really difficult. There's so many people doing it. You don't get paid a lot. Um, I don't know how you really, unless you're one of a a handful of people that get a television show or how how do you sustain a life uh, of just being an actor and making money? I, I think it's nearly impossible. So I think, you know, I, what I tell people, young people today is you, you've got to have another skill. You've got to do something else. And maybe that's the reason why a lot of people are hyphenates today too. You know, they can, they can do other jobs, but I think having, having other expertise in other areas of work that can give you a steady income is also not a way to, to take away from your dreams and your hopes and what you want to accomplish in your life. But it's just realistic because I think if you want to have any kind of artistic life, um, and and endeavor that you've got to you've you've got to have a foundation you've got to maintain some sort of semblance of being able to pay your bills and stuff and i just don't think an acting career and working in 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 film unless you're on a television show for a long period of time affords you that you're done you're safe you can go relax thanks liz (laughs) oh my god yeah this was a great interview but i'm so tired now i have to go lay down yeah what well, one last thing is where should people go to watch uh, Jacob's uh, wife? It comes out on April 16th and I think they will release the theaters the theater it's gonna play at probably a hundred theaters across the country I think oh, wow. or maybe less than that I'm not sure I don't have the final uh, the final uh, Google Doc on that but that's coming through soon and then we'll be posting that on social media but it will be available on Amazon and iTunes and I think Google Play and Vudu and all the streaming services that, you know, you could just look for it and, and, and it'll be there for you. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been fantastic. Oh, thank you guys. It's really nice talking to you both. I'm going to use this time to tell you my Barbara Crampton, Sean story because. Oh, sure. Okay. So when I told Sean that we were going to interview Barbara Crampton, um, he said that I had to ask her the following question. That question was, will you the... <laughs> so 
stupid. <laughs> stupidest question I've ever. All right. The question is, will you title um, your biography, Crampton Comes Alive? Oh, because Frampton comes alive? Oh, God, John. Wow. Well, if you just <laughs> listen to this episode, you would know if we asked this question or not, if Liz has the gall to ask such a stupid question, such a Simpson-y joke question that you could ask a person. <laughs> below Simpsons. This isn't even Simpsons level. It's very, very silly. Very punny. I love it. Yeah. Um, anyways, Barbara was great, but guess what? We've got Get Shorty. So you make movies, huh? I produce feature motion pictures. I got an idea for a movie. This week we have a short from writer, director, and actor Nigel Gould Davies called Corona Alona? Is what I want to say. It's not Corona Alona. It's just Corona, Corona Alone, I believe is probably what you would say. It. Or Corona Alone? Corona Alone. Corona Alone. I want to call it Corona Alona. That's why I wish he would have <laughs> Um, but yes, Nigel, he, he, he listened to our episode with uh, Ray um, and Jeff, the, those two older filmmakers, and I think he was inspired to send in his work based off of that. So um, anyways, Nigel, here you are. So hello from Chile, London. Uh, why did I make this short? It's a very strange story, uh, and it surprised me. Uh, a year ago, it would never have occurred to me to make a film. Never something that I'd aspired to. But then lockdown hit us and it was very severe here. And something about it just evoked some reaction, caused me to, to, to decide that I just had to make a film about this. It's not, not part of my background at all, which lies in, in, in words and in, in diplomacy and not in, not in film and images. I know that some of your guests in the past have uh, spoken about a, a force sort of speaking through them in the creative process. And that's that's how... It, uh, it felt with me. It's one of the, the strangest things that happened and uh, I, I couldn't stop it and, and, and didn't wish to. Why this story? I wanted to convey something about the disorientation of lockdown, the, uh, the loneliness of that condition, but also the opportunity for new connections that, uh, that is created as well. And also to pose the question, what happens to these connections uh, when lockdown lifts? Will they endure? Or, or will they, uh, they disappear? Uh, how did the team come up with the funds? Uh, I was the team. It was uh, zero budget. Uh, I bought a, a cheap tripod and that was uh, essentially it. The main cost was, uh, was time. Uh, I'm fortunate to have a day job that I can uh, do from home in lockdown. Um, so I spend many evenings and weekends toiling away at this, but uh, I never begrudged it for a moment. I was completely absorbed by it. And of course, you don't feel time passing really in those, those circumstances. Before I made the short, what I think would happen um, to my career and what did end up happening? I had zero expectations. It was a, a, a voyage of discovery uh, and learning for me. When I made it, I showed some friends and they were more than commonly polite about it. So I thought, well, why not send it to some festivals? So I learned about Film Freeway, sent it out. I decided that uh, if it received the humblest recognition at the most modest festival, I'd be absolutely delighted. And it turns out it did, uh, it did better than that. Uh, and so it's, um, it's changed my life. Um, I've now begun to plot a, a path of future projects, each one uh, more difficult than the last and, and longer and demanding more skills. Uh, in fact, I've just finished the, uh, the next one and, and uh, I'm on to the, um, 
to, to the one after that now. So yes, who knows what lies ahead? Uh, now it's out in the world, what purpose does it serve? Uh, well, for me, it's opened up this, this wonderful creative uh, outlet. It's opened my eyes. It's given me cinematic eyes, I would say. I now look at the world in, in a different way with, with filmic possibilities. It's extraordinary. I hope the film itself will make some people smile, uh, offer a, a bit of solace in, uh, in grim times. Um, but maybe also it will show others that you're never too old to begin something new and, and creative like this. Uh, and for film, of course, it's never been easier to do so. Technology has democratized access to, uh, to the tools and to the knowledge and, and the learning, uh, the, the videos, the podcasts like this one. So, you know, if you're wondering um, whether to do it, just, just jump in, uh, I would say. Would you do anything differently with the story now that it's done? Probably not the story. I might have added a scene or two. I kept coming across and all the advice about filmmaking your limitations will force you to be creative. And um, my limitations were severe indeed. Uh, it was, I was working on entirely my own uh, in, in one room. So I think I probably squeezed most of the creativity um, that I could uh, out of that. So, uh, and it's given me so much to think about for, for, for the next project. So that's it. Thank you very much. I love your podcast. Whenever I hear the introduction and uh, I need to swap batteries, uh, I always smile. So it's been an absolute a pleasure to be on your uh, podcast. Thank you. Liz, what did you think of Corona, Corona Alone? Uh, I watched it in July when it came out, I think, or when, when Nigel wrote us. And I loved it. And I thought it was really clever. And I think uh, I remember feeling like a little bit emotional while watching it. And then watching it again in April of 2021, it was just like this quirky piece of like how hard things were like it felt like something from a long time ago if that makes sense like it's so mm -hmm. interesting that it captured this moment in time things are still horrible but they're just, just a light at the end of the tunnel now but um the way that nigel pitched it to us i thought it was going to be a lot more rudimentary i think um i'll try to drag up his email but um i thought it was really clever it was I have nothing to say. Like, I'm trying to find <laughs> things to say. I watched it again. I literally wrote nothing down. I just enjoyed myself. I was like, oh, Nigel's adorable. And that's all. I just, I thought it was a really good effort for a short film. Very creative to do it in this way during the pandemic. And um, to release it, I thought that was really brave and cool of him. So well done, Nigel. Yeah. Um, I don't remember if Nigel said this was his first film or if this is just an early film or he just made this when he had time. I can't I can't really remember. It may be one of his first films. Um, he said it's the it, very first short film at the, that he made at the height of lockdown. Yeah. He found it. So. So, yeah, it it's OK. So this might sound insulting, but it does feel like a first film. It feels like an early film that you would make, you know, when you're first learning to make movies. But it feels like one of those but a really well done version of that where it's like this is just a very like you know uh focused uh story and idea and a concept like told very um i don't know i would say artfully you know there's mm -hmm. definitely like a little bit of an artist touch in here which i think is really nice like it's it's not in your face it's not over the top but it's like very much has its own style and like kind of controlled vibe that it's got going on for it which i liked um I thought that it was really nice to watch a movie that didn't have any dialogue. You know, it doesn't need dialogue to tell a story, which I think is also 
kind of why I feel it feels film school ish to me because I think that's sometimes what the prompt is is to like do it without dialogue, you know. Um, right. So I don't know why I just thought of that, but anyways, um, I liked. I liked the way that it built, and I, I, I agree with you. I felt emotional when I watched it the first time, too. I think as we were we were living it, you know? And then the idea of, like, the character leaving this, you know, confinement and going off back into the real world mm-hmm. at the end, and then, like, l- but feeling sad for, in a way, like, because they're losing this connection to the himself that they made during that time. I think it was really deep and interesting, um, you know, and I think had more to say than a lot of uh, the quarantine shorts I saw, um, you know, when people were making shorts during quarantine and sending us stuff all the time. <laughs> Look at this thing I made. I made this in quarantine by myself. <laughs> we got like so many of those emails, but we didn't really feature a lot of those because m- most of them weren't interesting enough to talk about, you know. Okay. So, um, yeah, good good on you, Nigel, for making it happen. Um yeah, and I don't know. It was kind of fun, like the little blue ball at the end. You know, it's like, hmm, what's next? It's kind of, I don't know. It's, it was fun. It was charming. Lots of charm. And also, I mean, open to interpretation. Like, I think you read it one re- way, and I think I might have read it another. Like, I just thought, um, like, he was so sad and lonely that he had to create this imaginary character. Like, I didn't even see it as himself. I saw it as this, like figment of his imagination like there's many different ways to interpret this um but my favorite part is actually nothing to do with the script but is that nigel is a former diplomat and i just like (laughs) i love i love when people from like real jobby jobs come round and they're like oh they're not so bad those artists i'm coming round to you and so um welcome nigel you're one of us now that's so funny former diplomat really cool um, yeah, I don't know. I don't feel like there's nothing really any, anything else to say, like to, to, to pull apart this or that. You know, I think it's it's just a testament that you can really do a really nice, rewarding story that has emotion with nothing. Just a yeah. camera and yourself. And that's all you need. And you can tell a story that's worth watching. So filmmakers, don't say you don't have enough tools to make a movie because you do. <laughs> Again, out like pull quote city, Alric. Like, I need to find a way to like finish my sentences so that I can be used as a pull quote. If only I could use this tool or skill or whatever to make money, then I would be set. Um, too bad I don't know how to do that yet. Maybe one day. Um, but Liz, I think you have something for us next. Yeah, uh, we do. We are bringing back uh, a segment that is um, not often present in our show called Soap Dish. Uh, and um, here's our cute little intro clip. I'm Lori Craven and I'm an actress. An actress, really? How nice for you. I'm Betsy Faye Sharon and I'm a bitch. This week on Soap Dish, we have Casey DeFremery on to talk about how he got some action thrills on his uh, no budget feature, Warpath. Here's Casey. One day I had seen a posting on Facebook about a contest run by Lincoln Park, the band uh, for a music video contest. And what you would do is you make a music video for the new song they had. uh, And if they like it, uh, you win a cash prize and it gets played on MTV. And I just sort of get, I started to get inspired by it because what happened was I just came up with this kind of general uh, plot outline. 
And it was basically about a contract killer who decides to leave the business. Uh, his bosses won't let him, so they kidnap his wife, and he goes on a roaring rampage of revenge. So basically, and this was actually one of the main introductions to doing action. You know, I worked with actors who'd worked with uh, action before, and I just got really inspired by the story itself and used up a lot of different resources to try and make it work. And, you know, I had a large cast. I used a bunch of really good settings that made it look like a big project. And uh, about a month later, we just, it came together really, really quick and we got it done and entered in the contest. And now it didn't win, but it got one of the biggest receptions of all the videos in the contest. And it sort of inspired me to start writing it a few months later as I started to kind of figure out like, how can you do this on a budget? How can you do this using the resources I already have? And, you know, where else can these characters go? What, you know, what's the bigger story here? It started to just kind of go organically from there, multiple drafts later and, you know, about 10 months of writing and onwards and upwards. For any advice I have about being able to get action and thrills on a low budget, I always just expand it out to a bigger thing, which is really like if you're looking to do a feature film or like a long form project, what I always ask, what is it about this project that really motivates you? What is it about these characters that get you excited? What is it about the story that, you know, would make you want to go and see this movie if the only way to see it was like in a theater 50 miles away? Because uh, you're going to have to answer, be able to answer that, especially if you're doing a feature which can take a couple of years out of your life and can sap a lot of your energy. Uh, you know, and these aren't made just for us. You know, if you want to be able to continue to have a career, you got to be able to entertain audiences and you got to be able to, you know, just go back to the idea of, you know, what is it about this in the first place? And if you can do that, then you can always figure out action. You know, you can lean on your influences, you can analyze your story. You can come up with gags. You can come up with really interesting ways of conveying an action sequence and, you know, pumping up drama and all that. But you really have to have the love for your story uh, because if you can deliver that, if you just keep at it and, you know, you, you get the script to be as good as it possibly can and you believe in it and you think that others will too, then other things will just fall into place. Like, you know, if you can work with a good stunt coordinator or choreographer who, you know, they'll be able to expand on your ideas and be able to get the most out of what you have, what your resources are. Actors, you know, can give really good advice and, and can, you know, bring their own ideas to the process. But all those things can be solved. It really does come down to story and character and why the hell do you want to show us either of those? Uh, but if you can do that, you can figure it out. One of the big ironies about Warpath is actually that when it came to like the budget and the scale of the action, I didn't actually ever really have to cut the action back that much uh, because it was always written to be a very uh, resourceful type of action um, to be, you know, as you know, sort of clever and making use of the locations as much as possible and sort of a style I'd already been kind of developing when researching action. So it actually didn't really, the, the only things that I really, you know, cut were stuff that I knew I wasn't going to be able to do, but just existed on the script page to get a sense of it. So like, for instance, in the when one of the big action set pieces in the film, there's a Mexican restaurant and it's basically a lot of different plot lines come to a head and ends up being, it ends up erupting into this like, you know, sort of violent brawl and fight scene that, uh, it was actually one of the more te technically complex sequences in the whole movie, but 
uh, the only things I really cut from it from the script were stuff like, you know, a gunshot, you know, like fires in the direction of the windows and like it explodes. Uh, you know, there's more casualties, you know, like, you know, people dialing, you know, like people, you know, you know, bodies piling up, uh, bullet holes in the walls, that kind of stuff. But it wasn't really some, you know, a type the type of thing I figured I'd be able to get away with because we were shooting in a private business and, uh, we wanted to be able to come back and we, you know, we didn't want to tear the place up and we definitely didn't have the money to, you know, explode windows and replace them. So, you know, you, you work with what you have, but you do try to create other ways within the style of it that give that sort of sense of disorganization of chaos. And so we tried to do it you know, when we could, there's like one of my favorite shots in the movie is uh, one of the, one of the henchmen after the main character gets belted with a breakaway beer bottle. He falls. And at the same time, a waiter drops a, a, a stack of plates at the same time that the, that the henchman falls and just kind of create little moments like that, that expand on the chaos of the situation and really just kind of create interesting beats for each little bit of action. So uh, the short version is that I didn't really have to cut too much, but it's already a sense of when you're working on a low budget, it's not really cutting stuff out. It's more about finding out what you can actually do and then working around that. To deliver action on a low budget, it really comes down to story and character, like full stop. Uh, you have to have a really good understanding of your story, you know, what action is there, what you need, why does there have to be action, and character-wise, you know, what makes sense and, you know, what motivates it. Uh, you know, if it's a fight scene in a steel mill, why is it there? Is it important to the character? Uh, and, you know, what's the goal of the action in it? And who else is affected? So it requires a really good understanding of that because to pull off action, it's going to take a lot of time, a lot of work, and a lot of luck, uh, honestly. Now, I kind of liken it also to using you know, like whenever I do a project, if, especially if it's a low budget one where, you know, if you're having to, you know, borrow equipment or, you know, use up every resource that you have to be able to accomplish something, action is no different. And really it, the difficulty goes up about 10 times. So like with action, you have to take inventory of what you have access to and what you need. So do you have locations that will let you, you know, tear up the place? Uh, do you have actors that are athletic or who have had experience uh, you know, doing stage combat, um, have they boxed if in the scene they need to box have, you know, do they have experience, you know, can they learn and, and story-wise, like what kind of action are you needing to do? Like if you're doing a big sci-fi guardians of the galaxy type scene and you're trying to do that on a low budget, good luck. It's probably not going to really work for you. Um, now with Warpath, I always kind of joked that the fighting style in this movie is bar brawl. Uh, you know, I knew I wasn't going to be doing any kind of wire foo. Uh, you know, I was inspired by, you know, like the crime films that I watched growing up. And I knew that the main two characters in this movie had, would have some training, but that a lot of the fight scenes would be very much, uh, bar brawls and, you know, really, you know, in scuffles and just really kind of dirty and messy. So it was not going to be an easy process. Um, you know, like I want to make the kind of movie where like a fight could just all of a sudden end in a headlock, like an actual fight you would witness in real life. So a lot of it kind of stemmed from that. And one of the biggest things you can do is really hire a stunt coordinator and, you know, or fight choreographer, because the biggest thing you want to do is you need to keep your actors safe. You know, if they're going to be doing a lot of the action or if they're going to be, you know, taking a lot of risk, you got to make sure that they're as safe as can be. 
otherwise, you're not going to have much of an action movie. Um, in my case, one of the big things I did was hire uh, Tony Vela, who you know, was a veteran of the show and of Bay Area filmmaking itself. And that was one of the best things I did because he was able to keep the actor safe and like the most intense fight scenes uh, in the film. And, you know, everyone walked out, you know, for the most part, you know, fairly uh, healthy. <laughs> so, you know, you have to, you know, use your resources, find out what you can do. And, you know, and also just kind of find out what inspires you, you know, and what kind of action, you know, what is it about your action that can stand out from the rest? And once you have the answers to all those, then things get a lot easier, even though easier in this case means difficult as all hell. To pull off the action in Warpath, as you can probably guess, I wasn't working with like a, you know, a several million dollar budget. I wasn't working with a giant stunt team. And so every decision had to be kind of careful and really well thought out. And so, and as usual, it kind of, it really all stemmed from action or from story and character. So in this one, I knew early on that the scale or of the fight scenes was really meant to be uh, what I kind of consider to be just an extended bar brawl. So like a big inspiration for me was the fight scene in Eastern Promises, uh, which had a very famous fight uh, involving Viggo Mortensen against a bunch of uh, Russian goons. And in that one, it was a very, you know, very gritty and kind of raw fight. Uh, no one really looked that coordinated. No one really looked that organized. And it just felt really raw, really visceral and really real life. Like it really makes you feel like Viggo Mortensen is really just trying to survive a very dire circumstance. And kind of on the other end, I looked at um, one of my other big inspirations, which was professional wrestling, uh, especially some of the indie wrestling from the uh, mid 2000s, because there was a lot of fights, you know, because basically wrestling itself is basically extended stage combat. You know, the, act, the, the, the performers are trying to keep themselves safe. They're trying to tell a story and they're trying to make the audience really feel like these people hate each other and they're here to settle a grudge. And while also kind of keeping it within normal physics, like there's no wire foo. I knew I wasn't going to have wire foo at the very beginning. So you have to kind of take stock of what your influences are and what you can perform. So, like, to pull off uh, the action in Warpath, uh, you know, every decision, because we weren't going to be using a lot of, like, stunt people and, you know, the fight scenes, you know, could, be get, could get kind of ambitious, there was a lot to, you know, work with. So, uh, luckily, a lot of the actors I had had, had athletic backgrounds. Um, you know, some had, you know, had been in sports. Uh, you know, like, my lead actor, Gary, had a lot of uh, boxing experience. And so, you know, we worked with them, you know, uh, like off and on, we worked with the stunt coordinator to, you know, make the safest type of, uh, fight scenes that we could, you know, and, you know, having as much padding as we could to make sure that no one felt, you know, unsafe and that they can perform what we needed them to do. And, uh, so like there was a scene in the middle of the movie where, uh, the fe the lead female, uh, Sabrina, she's fighting off. Uh, like a gangster and the objective is simple it's she needs to get access to the shotgun in the car uh that way so she can be able to get out of uh, a van that's holding her hostage and it's really simple so but the but to, it, it looks simple but it involved a lot of rehearsal a lot of like very careful motions and blocking uh like it's in a small space and you know really just trying to you know create as much of a safe atmosphere with you know, as possible like you know with the location with lenses with shooting you know with the actual camera placement and um you know to make things look as dangerous as they possibly could be but actually be as, as performed as easy easily as like falling from three inches 
So it's a very thoughtful process and you have to be very careful with how you do it and consult with the stunt coordinator whenever you can. You know, I only seen the trailer, so I don't really know how many action sequences he has in this movie, but he had enough that high octane pictures wanted to distribute it. So I feel like he must have had something good. So The octane sure was high enough for high octane. Exactly. Just enough octane. Just enough octane. Well, thanks for that, Casey. Much appreciated. Everyone should check out uh, Warpath. I believe it's on the places you can watch things like Amazon and probably not Netflix. Sorry, Casey. No offense. I just don't think it's there. Um, but uh, yeah. Oh, speaking of movies on Netflix that were on the show. Oh, my God. Ta- Ta- Taylor Morden's film. Oh, my God. Um, it's Low blowing Last up. Oh, my God. It was top 10 for like a week and a half. I watched it. It was actually great. Good, great job, Taylor. I everywhere really liked the movie. I go, maybe because I follow Taylor on social media, but everywhere I go, I've seen stuff about the last blockbuster. This film. Yeah. Oh, my God. Did well. 1091, making it happen for Taylor. Great job to 1091. I don't know if Sana had anything to do with this one. Probably not. But, you know, anyways, that's good stuff. Um, so I was going to say. If you want to reach out to us, there are many ways to do that, including writing a YouTube comment, which you can do so on our YouTube page, or you can support the show on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash podcast and give what you can. Thanks to all you wonderful people out there who are doing that very thing right now. I love it. It's how I can pay for uh, Cameron to edit the show. It's the only way. Um, if you want to send us a question, comment, or suggestion, you can also do that at podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. Uh, we will read whatever you write us on the show, except can we have your get, my Get Shorty on the show, or can you feature me as a guest? Those we won't read, but we may, we'll probably feature you as a Get Shorty person. Yeah, statistically, most people get on Get Shorty. <laughs> I think, like, yeah. And if you haven't been on Get Shorty and you sent us, don't feel bad, you will one day. I mean, Nigel was from July. Like, we're going to pull people out of the woodwork, you know, going forward, so don't worry. Um, if you like the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, any new reviews, Liz? No, none. Zero. <laughs> Not a, not one. Okay. Um, yeah, I was hoping you were going to say something else. Anyways, too bad. Uh, but yeah, leave a review there one day. Who cares? You know what? I don't stop asking. I don't even want your fucking iTunes review. You don't have to do shit. I do. Care. I want them. I want them. <laughs> I don't. Please I'm me. over it. It's fine. Who cares? We know the show's good. Finally, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MMIH Podcast and YouTube at Making Moves Is Hard Podcast. Yeah, thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Barbara Crampton, Priscilla Rios from KWPR for making this episode happen. Check out our website, makingmoviesishard.com, where you can find links to the things we talked about on this episode. Thank you forever to editor Cameron Caves. Thank you. You're doing a fantastic job. I feel like I should just send a personal email instead of saying this on the show. But also, Cameron, fantastic job. Uh, Cameron's doing the editing for us. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening and talk to all y'all next week. This week on Soap Dish, we have Casey DeFremery on the show to talk about how, um, whoa, 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 fuck, 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 I'm going to do it again. So, what I was going to say was, if you want to get, when you want to reach out to us, there's many ways that you can do that, include, including, oh, fuck, I'll just redo it. (laughs) 